0: Hello and thank you for joining Cornerstone Worship Center's Building a Better Life. For more information about our church, service times, and resources, we invite you to check us out on the web at www.abetterlife4.us.
1: We are studying, Pastor Eric and I am presenting to you a series of studies called Kings and Priests from Revelation chapter 1. And if you want to turn there, it's our launching pad and there are going to be a lot of scriptures come out today. Our primary scripture is going to wind up, we're going to uh, to take us to uh, Genesis chapter 14. But I I want to to just share with you this primary verse, this this initial verse, uh, this kickoff verse, I'll I'll call it because I already called the other one primary. Uh, It's our kickoff verse from Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. All right, Revelation 1. Revelation 1, 5 and 6 is actually what we want to read. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead. Hallelujah. That means he's not the only begotten anymore. He's the first begotten. It means if he's the first begotten, you're the other begottens from the dead. And the prince of the kings of the earth. He is the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us. And washed us from our sins in his own blood. Verse 6. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, I know some of you may have translations that say, He has made us unto our God a kingdom of priests. Poor translation. The same Greek word for kings in verse five, and every translation I looked at that said he's made us a kingdom of priests, in verse five says he is the prince of kings. That's the same word down there, in that word for that word kings in verse six as the word for kings in verse five. Basileu, basileu, b-a-s-i-l-e. OU, I believe it is, Basil U. It does not say a kingdom of priests. It says kings and priests. Both things are the same. Verse 5 and verse 6 are the same word. Mm, Kings. We're kings and priests. That is, he's made us kings and priests unto our God. He made us kings and priests. I want you to see it as a couple of overlaying circles, and they have a certain part of them that overlap. Part of it, you know, is the same thing. That is, you, most of you are kings. Most of you are kings, but you have a priestly aspect to your life. When you're out there in the world, you're talking to somebody who's not saved, you are Acting as the moment you say anything about the Lord, the moment you open your mouth in any in any way concerning spiritual matters, you are you are acting as a priest for that person. Everybody understand this. And and priests, those who operate in the priesthood, so to speak, they, they there's an aspect of our lives that is that is kingly. I mean, I could go out here and you know open up a business and start. I mean, I think Jeremy Jeremy teaches guitar. Ah, uh, That might be a priestly work, but it's also also a kingly work because he gets paid for it. I mean, I don't know why anybody paid Jeremy to teach him play the guitar. But anyway, he does. <laughs> he, he does. Yeah, and so he, he makes money doing that. And that's, that's, that's a kingly role. We all have a priestly role and a kingly role. It's just a matter of when we are operating and functioning as the church. What is our role? Operating with respect to the, the kingdom what, and, and the church and we're together and so forth. What, what, what is our role? We're all priests and we're all kings, but we have practical roles. And that's really what we're trying to point out here. Not so much a theology of this message, but an idea, an idea of what God really had in mind for our, our, our partnership in ministry. Everybody understand where we're going with this? He's made us kings and priests. Now, the reason translators oftentimes have tried, but the literal, the literal text, Young's literal translation says kings and priests. Okay? Because they take it just like the Greek actually says it. But the reason some translators felt like it was necessary to say kingdom of priests is because they know what another scripture says, that we are a royal, that's kingly, a royal priesthood. So they're trying to make the, make the, the, uh, uh, the theology match. But that's not the role of a translator. Everybody understand that? That is not the role of a translator. Translators are supposed to translate the Bible like it says it. Because that's the role of a priest. That's the role of the preacher. That's the role of the apostle and prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Amen. That's the role of those who are calling to full-time ministry to be able to make that thing happen, make that understanding come to you. Paul kept praying for the Ephesians. I pray that God will grant to them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. Why? Because he had it on him. Everybody understand this. The Apostle Paul had that spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ, but he kept praying that prayer for the people so that the kings would get it. The kings of God would get the, Ooh, I love this, would get the idea that their ministry is not, they're not working to try to rise to the priesthood. Lord God, forgive us for that nonsense. Making people feel like their ministry, their, their, their work out there in that world had no, had no ministry effect, had no ministry impact. Let me say to you, priests cannot do what they're supposed to do unless there's some kings out there reigning in this life. But we are talking about patterns. We're using this as a pattern for how, how our church is supposed to function. Acts chapter 7 talks about patterns. You don't have to turn to any of these. I'm just going to give them to you. Acts chapter 7, when, when Stephen was preaching, he talked about Moses and the church in the wilderness. Was there a church out there in the wilderness? No. It was just a congregation of Israel. I mean, it was God's people. It was the nation of Israel out there in the wilderness. But here, but there in Acts chapter 7, it's the, he, I looked it up. I mean, he used the word ecclesia. He called that thing a church. Well, that wasn't a church, but it is a pattern of how the church is supposed to operate with a leader Everybody understand me? But how many of you know that Moses had a priest? As great as he was, he still had Aaron. Everybody follow me. Acts chapter, I mean, make make that, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it talks about ministers as oxen. Oh, preachers are oxen. Big dumb ox. If you say that to me, I'm going to be blessed. Because it says, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. Praise God. Take, the, take the, the muzzle off of him. How much does an unmuzzled ox eat? Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 says that the tabernacle is really just a pattern for what's really in heaven. The tabernacle was a pattern, it was, a, it was just a, a show of what was really in heaven in heaven. The Bible's full of all kinds of patterns. The reason why we have multiple congregations and we pray for our multiple congregations and I preach in these other congregations is because it's a biblical pattern. With the Apostle Paul, he established multiple congregations with relationship with those that he had set in place over each of those other congregations. It's a pattern. You see, you take the Bible pattern and uh, Hebrews chapter 4 talks about Joshua giving them rest in the land, but God was talking about Jesus giving them rest in the spirit. Everybody follow this. So what we're talking about when we, we're talking about kings and priests, we're really just talking about a pattern. I want you to see how God is using you as he used the men and women of the Bible, even when you're out there working in your job, doing what you do. Genesis chapter 14, let's turn there, please. And I want to read a number of verses to help us get some understanding from this, from our father of faith. Abraham. Who's your father of faith? Abraham's your father of faith. Amen. Abraham is your father of faith. His faith took him to heaven just like your faith is going to take you to heaven. Now, it didn't take him directly to heaven, you understand. It took him to a place they later named Abraham's bosom. It it took him to a place where he escaped the fire because he'd been made righteous. He was deemed righteous by his faith, but he had not yet been born again. Because Jesus had not yet died. But when Jesus went into the lower parts, glory to God, there was Abraham standing there with his promissory note of faith. And stood there believing God. Amen. Believing God that his, that his righteousness had been, had been imputed to him because he believed the promises of God. Now let's read Genesis chapter 14 verse 1. And it came to pass in the days of Ab- uh, uh, Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elisar, Kedorla, Kedorlaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations. That these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah. Sh- uh, Shinab, king of Adma, and uh, uh, Shemeber, <laughs> king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. All these were joined together in the vale, or the valley, of Siddim, which is the salt sea. That's, you know it as the dead sea. Twelve years they served Omer, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. And in the fourth, fourteenth year came Kedorlaomer and the kings that were with him and smote the Rephaims and the Ashtaroth, uh, Kernaim and the Zuzims in Ham and the Emims of Shavah Kerhatham. Praise God. Whoa, doesn't that just make you tingle? And the Horites in their Mount Seir unto El Paran, which is by the wilderness. And they returned and came to uh, En Mishpat, which is Kadesh. Why didn't you say Kadesh? I mean, that would have been a lot easier than En Mishpat. And smote all the country of the Amalekites and the Amorites that dwell in Hazizon Tamar. And there went out uh, uh, on the uh, out the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and the king of Adma, and the king of Zeboim and the king of Bela uh, uh, the same is Zoar and they joined battle with them in the vale or the valley of Siddim. Now this has been going on for a long time—twelve years, thirteen years. In the fourteenth, thirteenth year they finally rebelled after twelve years of of misery. And when they, they rebelled, you know, well, they, they had, this, had, had another great big fight, you know. With Kedorlaomer, the king of Elam, and title, king of nations, and Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elisar, four kings with five. That's four against five. And, and the vale of Siddim was full of s- slime pits. And the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there. You know, you're not really doing all that well in battle if your strategic exit takes you right through the slime pits. You're not ever going to be a Napoleon, let's just face it. And they fell there, of course they did. And they that remained fled to the mountains, and they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals. Now, Alexander Scorby pronounces that word victuals. He's a British, I mean, he ought to know how to say it. And, and went their way and they took lot uh-oh now you know what i was reading this story and everything was just fine i thought this is all right it's okay. okay you guys are beating up on those sodomites and the gomorites, and the... i don't like them anyway because i know what's going to happen in about four chapters with these guys jerks sorry no account good for nothings just go get them get them get them get them and all of a sudden you come across, across that phrase and it took lot uh-oh they, they probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> probably should. You know who Lot is, right? He's the nephew to the big man himself. He's the nephew to Abram. And when they took Lot, they dragged Abram into this fight. I just want to let you know something. You don't want in a fight with Abram. You don't want in a fight with somebody who's full of faith. And you don't want in a fight with somebody who's the father of faith. You don't want in a fight with this guy. It took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. Look at verse 13. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre the Amorite, and brother of Escol, the brother of Anar, and these were confederate with Abram. Ah, oh, now, that word confederate is almost always translated in covenant. These people were in covenant with Abram. Abram. Now, who was Abram? Well, we think, him, we think of him sort of as a you know, big-time shepherd. I mean, he had a big farm, all right, and it was a mobile farm. And I mean, we, we think of him as, as a shepherd. But when he came up, the chapter before this in chapter 13, it says when he came up out of Egypt, Abram was very rich in cattle and in silver and in gold. Cattle, make a friend of those words by saying it, cattle, silver, and gold. He was very rich in cattle, silver, and gold, okay? He was so powerful and so wealthy that these other kings were confederate with him. Kings don't make confederacies, they do not make covenants with anyone other than other kings. They don't come into confederacy. And covenant with people who have no authority. There's nothing they can gain from that. What they do with people with no authority is they overtake them. They consume them. They bring them under their own authority. But people that they consider equals, they come into covenant with. Kings of the earth at that day considered Abraham a... The father of faith was not a priest. you got to hear this. The father of faith was not a priest. The father of faith was a king. Get a hold of this. You're going to clock in tomorrow with a whole different attitude. Your father of faith was not a priest, he was a king. But as great as he was, he still needed a priest. Look at verse 14. See what it says. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken, and he considered lot his brother, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, three hundred and eight. How many? How many people did did Abram have on his payroll? Your days of thinking that Abram was just a little old shepherd, you know, running around the desert trying to survive. Those days are over. He had 318 men ready for battle. I don't know if you know what what young men who can fight and who are trained to fight can eat. Miss Ann and I raised two teenagers, and I'm telling you, they ate everything that could be chewed up. If they could get it in their mouths, they ate it, especially this one on the front row. I mean, I saw him. I saw him sitting there watching television, and he would hear his stomach growl, and he'd get to looking around for something to eat, and he'd get to looking at that cat. <laughs> Thinking, I don't like her anyway. I wonder what she tastes like. You know, I mean, this kid would eat anything. Still like that. Huh? He had 318 of these guys with him. Not counting their wives. Not ca- not counting their kids. Huh? Huh? They were all circumcised, but they weren't they were all still men and they needed wives. Wives, children, secretaries, other helpers, people to carry the stuff. We're talking about 318. How many people were in Abram's entourage? How many people were in his, under his care, in his employ? 318 men trained by him, trained to do what, trained to fight? They had an unfair advantage, though. They learned to fight by faith, praise God. 318 of them. This is no mere tiny little guy dragging around the desert. Your father of faith was a king. Come on, everybody shout it out. Abraham was a king. Praise God. But even Abraham needed a priest for his partnership. Well, it's not uncommon in the Bible. David had Zadok and Nathan. Moses had Aaron, Nehemiah had Ezra, all the great men of the Bible. It, it crops up over and over and over throughout the scriptures, that these great men, great as they were, they had a connection with a the priest. Their connection with a priest caused, caused them to be able to do greater things than what they could do in the natural, caused them to do greater things than what they could do in the natural. The very first mention of, Ab- of Melchizedek's name is right here in verse 18. Let's look down to verse 18. Well, I'll tell you what, let's look at verse 16. After he had whipped them all, verse 16. And he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. Now I want you to notice something about Lot, I mean about Abram. Abram brings all these people back. This one guy with his 318 fighting men did what five kings could not do. This one guy did what five kings could not do. This one king did what five kings could not do. When David stood on the battlefield and looked at Goliath, he was many times bigger than him, many times more powerful than him, many times more experienced than him, many times louder than him. David stood on that battlefield and looked at Goliath and said, You come to me with a spear and a shield, and I come to you. Actually, a shield and a sword. And I come to you in the name of the Lord. I knew that because it rhymes. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, you uncircumcised Philistine. I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds. Why did he call him uncircumcised? He's just letting all of these circumcised men who are hiding behind the rocks and the bushes remember. He's just letting them remember. Any of the lies, any one of you could have taken him out. Because I don't care how big they are. I don't care what the odds are. I don't care how loud they are, how experienced, how strong. If he doesn't have a covenant, he doesn't have a chance against a man with a covenant. Praise be to God. Oh, the devil's chasing me. He doesn't have a chance. Against you. Oh, the dead doctor said that diagnosis doesn't have a chance against somebody with a covenant. Well, the banker said that, pardon me, Miss Becky. <sighs> it just doesn't have a chance against someone with a covenant. Abram goes out there. Oh, they just shouldn't have messed with a lot. When they're messing with a lot, what Abraham loves messing with Abraham are you listening to me that's why the bible says in Romans chapter 8 that you are more than a conqueror through him who loved you because when they're messing with you they're messing with Jesus he already took out death he already took out hell he already took out the grave I mean what can stand against him if God be for us who can be against us does not matter the odds first time Melchizedek is mentioned listen to this Verse 18, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, that's the old old name for Jerusalem. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? That Jesus is right now the king of Jerusalem and will be the king of the new Jerusalem. Melchizedek, king of Salem. Did you notice that it called Melchizedek a king here? But over in Hebrews, which we're going to get to later, talks about his high priestly ministry. Okay? So let's go ahead and admit Priests can be kings too. Kings can be priests. But practically speaking, this king, even though he was the king of, of and frankly, I think, I think every city ought to be run by a man of God or a woman of God. Just my opinion. Hang all that business of separating church from state. I said, hang all that business. Do you know how many preachers signed the Declaration of Independence? not like 20 of the 80 some odd were ordained ministers. Where did these communists ever get the idea we are supposed to separate church and It's Not in any of our documents. Alright, I'm glad I said it. I did. The first thing that Melchizedek does and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth what did he bring forth? Anybody recognize bread and wine? as something significant to you? What does he bring out? Bread and wine. He brings out The Articles of the Covenant. He brings out communion meal. He brings it out there just to remind that he brings out that bread and that blood. Or that bread and that wine. And for you and me, that's the body and blood. That's That's just a reminder. He's just reminding this great king, Abram. He's just reminding him. And he reminds him of a few things. We're going to look at some of the things that he said. It's really quite potent. But I want you to see the very first mention in the Bible. And there's a law of first mention. Something significant is happening in the first mention. First mention of Melchizedek is is that he's a covenant man and he brings bread and wine out. You have to understand this. That with all the things that you need to keep being reminded of is that you have a covenant with God. You have a covenant with God today. If you don't get anything else out of what you, what you came here to church to get today, you need to hear me say, you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the day you came into contact with him, believed on his name, you came into covenant with God. You may think you're married to the person sitting next to you, but that covenant isn't even a squeak, isn't even a hair breadth compared to the depth and the power of the covenant you have with God. How many of you are married to somebody and you love them a lot? Let me see your hand. Yeah, that is hatred compared to the love that God has for you. That is hatred compared to the love God has for you. I I, I want all the people under my care to be married and be in love. I mean, if you're married, I want you to be in love. I don't want you to be... Married? Some, <laughs> you know what I mean. I, I, I want you to, if you're married, I want you to be in love. You don't have to run out and get married. But if, if you're married, I want you to be in love. But, but listen, that no, and no matter how good that is, it's still hatred in comparison to the covenant that God has with you and the love that he has for you. Woo. You are in covenant with God. He meant it all along. He meant it all along, had this man of faith partaking of this flesh and blood of Christ, even right there. The bread and the wine. The priest reminded him that he was in covenant with God. What was the covenant? Well, if you look at Genesis chapter 12, why don't we turn there real quick, Genesis chapter 12, I want you to see these three verses quickly. Pastor Eric, do you have a microphone there? Is there a microphone there? No? Okay. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I can read it. You got a microphone for him? Let him read it there. Genesis 12,
0: 1 through 3. Read it, Pastor Eric. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed.
1: So what's this covenant? I mean, it has
0: lots of tentacles as
1: the time goes by. But the essence of the covenant is this. God says, I will bless you. I will bless you. I will bless you. That's the covenant. God saying, I will bless you. I will bless you. I, I'm so weary with those who try to who try to slam somehow the preaching of blessing. They say, Oh, so this is not a bless me club. This church is a bless me club. It's sure not gonna be a curse, you club. Amen. I'm a part of a bless me club. I'm not a part of a begging to be blessed club. This covenant says I will bless you. Abraham doesn't have to beg God to bless him. God's already said I'm going to bless you. My blessing is upon you. I'll bless everybody that blesses you. Everybody who joins with me, partners with me, God says, in blessing you, I will bless them. This is how you, Abram, are going to be a blessing to the nations. You're going to bless the whole world. It's because I'm going to draw them to you to bless. I'm going to draw them to you to bless you. And when they bless you, the blessing that I have on you is going to spill out over onto them. Everybody understand this? It's really, really, really powerful stuff. Look at verse 19. Back to Genesis chapter 14 and verse 19. Sorry to move you around so much, but. And he blessed him. This is Melchizedek blessing Abram. And said, blessed be be Abram of the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. Melchizedek comes out at a monumental time in Abram's life to remind him of a few things. Notice what else he says. Blessed be Abram of the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand, and gave and He gave him tithes of all. Now there's three things that Melchizedek actually reminded Abram of, and week in and week out, you come here to church. And to hear Pastor Eric and me remind you of these things. It's a reminder, you have to be reminded. First of all, that you are of God. Now I want you to know something. Not long after this, when Abram does his part of the covenant in circumcision and gets his name changed and, does, you know, and and believes God for his righteousness in chapter 15, when these things begin to happen, they don't call Abraham of God anymore. He's not called the Abraham of God like he is here. After that, the reference turns around. In talking about God, he's called the God of God. Of Abraham. When Abraham comes into covenant, now God wants to be identified by Abraham. When Abraham, listen to me, God wants it so that when people are thinking about you, they're thinking about him. When your name comes up in a conversation, they can't help but think about Jesus. When they see you on the street, they'll think they're looking at God because they, woo! They found somebody who's come into covenant with Almighty God. And what it means to be in covenant with God. When you are of God, God becomes of you. Wow, 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 wow. He was even born of Abraham's seed. You are of God. Tell two people, you are of God. Now look look at him and say, and don't forget it. All right. Second thing is, he says to him, is that God owns everything, possessor of heaven and earth. God owns everything, even what you have right here, Mr. Abram. God owns everything, even what you have right here. See, the reason he bring that up right there, because Abram's got all this stuff, right? He's got all this stuff. And he comes out. Now, the king of Sodom first comes out. If you'll notice earlier, earlier in this text, the king of Sodom comes out to meet him. But it says, though Melchizedek runs up ahead of him wants to talk to Abram before the sodomite gets there. He runs up to him. He says, hey, 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 I've got some things to tell you. Did you notice that he didn't bring any starving orphans with him to try to bump the offering? Anybody notice that? He, He didn't have any pictures of the kids he'd seen on the mission field. Don't you feel bad about these little children? Would you give to help our cause? He didn't bring the light bill from the church. So, oh man, we we really need you to help us here. No. He didn't have to do any of that. Didn't, didn't take him by the arm, twist his arm, say, if you don't give, God's gonna kill you. Next time you'll lose that battle. No, he didn't say any of that. Didn't do any of that. Didn't do any of that manipulation. He just said, You are of God. And then he said, God owns everything you have. He owns the whole world. And then he said, this victory, and you being able to triumph over your enemies. Hey, he did what five kings couldn't do. He did what five kings couldn't do. And the man of God, the priest, ran out and said, God gave you that victory. God gave you that victory. God gave you that victory. victory. How many of you have had victories before? Let me see your right hand. Now with your other hand, let's say, God gave me that victory. God gave me that victory. Every victory you've ever had, God gave it to you. Every time you've ever ruled over your enemies, God gave you that victory. Praise God. Amen. Amen. And the man of God was there to remind him. The priest ran out to remind him. I am not the least bit concerned about what we think about Melchizedek at this point. Melchizedek was not trying to get an offering from him. He wasn't trying to get an offering from him. It doesn't matter what you think about. He was not trying to get an offering from him. He didn't need the offering. But he was speaking for God, to a man who knew God. But it doesn't matter how great you are, how kingly you are, how wonderful you are, and how much God has blessed you. You never have the right to say, well, you know, it's because I, you know, got that college degree that makes me so good. It's because that I invested well, you know, I just have this, I just have this, you know, I'm sort of like the uh, Oracle of, o, uh, uh, of Omaha. I'd be like, more like the Mincianic of McKinney. <laughs> Whatever that means. Did I just make that word up? Anyway. No, 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 it's not because how great you are, how smart you are. It's because, it's because God gives you victories. God gives you victories. Now Abram could have said, wait a minute, buddy. Wait just a minute, Mel. <laughs> Evidently, you got no idea who I am. You got you. I, I am Abram. You know, I came up out of Egypt. Egypt, Egypt, of all places. Came up out of there rich. Cattle, silver, gold. you got no idea, man, how tough I am. Shoot. I could whip seven or eight kings at once. No, he didn't. He didn't say that. He acknowledged that what Melchizedek had said was true. That he couldn't whip anybody. He couldn't whip anybody. Except that God gave him the victory. And did you notice... Did you notice Abram's response? But after he told him those three things, he tithed. He said, "I want, I want one out of ten things here. I want to give him one out of every dollar here. I want to give him." You were shouting like two minutes ago. Now you're now you're. (laughs) He didn't show him any starving orphans or orphans. He didn't beg him to please give or we're going to have to go off the air. No, he didn't say any of that. Huh? Didn't do any of that. What did he do? He just reminded him of his covenant. Reminded him who he was and that God was in this victory. That God had given this victory and that God really owned everything. And Abram's response was to tithe. His response was to tithe tithe whose response well now pastor john there you go preaching that law again you know i'm not a law preacher Haven't said one thing about the law the power of the tithe has nothing to do with the law it is just that it is so powerful and so permeate throughout god's people's lives way before the law don't forget the book of genesis is not in the old testament Why? Well, it is too it's right over it no the old testament is the law and that didn't come till exodus New Testament theology doesn't come from the law it comes from Genesis for the most part what we know about God by faith we get from our father in faith 400 years before Moses lived everybody understand this we're not talking about the law the law had to incorporate the tithe because it was such a powerful principle they couldn't, you couldn't write a law without the tithe in it it was there long before the law ever existed Can I have a better amen in this house? His response, it is the response of the people of faith to tithe. Why? Well, you may not understand this, but I'm going to tell you something that will shock you probably today. You ready for a shocking truth? We don't have seatbelts on these chairs, so hold on. What did... Adam and Eve do when they sin? Was it rebellion? Was it disobedience? Was it pride? Was it mutiny? Treason? You know, I've heard all of those. What they really did was stole a piece of fruit. (laughs) Stole a piece of fruit. If I had a fruit tree in my backyard and somebody stole a piece of fruit off of it, I don't think I would even yell at them. I just think, hope you enjoy it. Because you see on my list... That's a real small sin. How many of you think you're going to waste the breath screaming at the guy who pulls a peach off your tree? I mean, you might, but you might just say, "Who cares? Let him go." Huh? And if he stopped and said, "Hey, could I have a?" Yeah, sure. Take take two or three. Take them home. Some home to you. I mean, that's just probably how you're going to act, right? If I know you guys. But God told him. Just don't eat anything of that tree. Why? Why was that tree so precious to God? It wasn't that the tree was precious to God. He just wanted Adam to have something he couldn't do so he'd be a free moral agent. Because without something he couldn't do, a choice to make, he's a puppet. But with that tree, he has the right to choose, the moral agency to choose. And so, there was a tree there. But that tree was a horrible tree too. Because it, had, it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, isn't this interesting? If the devil is going to try to talk you out of any part of your Christian experience and any part of your Christian responsibility and any part of your Christian activities, the first thing he's going to try to talk you out of is tithing. I've been a pastor a long time. I know what I'm talking about. So, I mean, people will stay faithful in church and not tithe. I think I just need to stand here and let that soak in a minute. I mean, they're, they're witness to their friends and not tithe. They do have all the Christian activities and not tithe sometimes. Why? They've been talked out of it. They've been reasoned out of it. They went back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil trying to figure out, well, if I don't do this, and i got, you know, if I got the bills to pay, i got this, i got the kids, and i got the before you know it. Not tithing at all. Not tithing at all. It happens. It happens. I just got to tell you though, I made up my mind that I was going to tithe today. The day I got saved. It'll help you if you go ahead and make up your mind sometime other than the day when you're called upon to do it. You make up your mind some other time, then you don't have a decision to make on the day you're called upon. Can I have a better amen here in this house? It was Abram's response, and I know I have to finish here. Week after week after week after service after service, you come in here and we keep reminding you. Why? 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 We keep reminding you who you are, who you are. Why do we do this? Because it's our job.
0: It's our job.
1: It's what the priest does. It's our job to remind you who you are, how big God is, that he owns everything, and that all the victory is yours because of God. Amen. Amen. Well, but you don't know. My mother gave me all this stuff. Oh, listen, listen. All that stuff that's so precious to you. Everybody needs to hear me. All that stuff is so precious to you that you just think you can't live without. One day you're going to pass away. And you know what your kids are going to do? They're going to come in your house with a key that they had made. Heck, all kinds of people are going to have keys. The realtor will have keys. The guy who's going to run the auction will have keys. A couple of the neighbors will have keys. Everybody have keys. They'll go trampling in through there and leave footprints all over your carpet. They won't clean any of the glass after they've smudged it all up. And they're going to start dragging your stuff. They're going to go in there and get your stuff and drag it out of the driveway and sell it to total strangers. Some of the stuff, if you've walked around like this all your life, Oh, Mm -hmm. isn't that beautiful? It's going to wind up in the front yard on a table with 25 cents on it. (laughs) It's It's just garage sale stuff, folks, because you don't really own anything. Aren't you going to be better in heaven? See, in heaven, you're going to be looking down on that garage sale going, you know, if I'd have sold that when it was valuable. (laughs) Hmm. Abraham had a great victory. He did what five kings could not do. And then he tithed when that man said, God gave you this victory. What does tithing do? It keeps you humble oh god brought that cancer on you because you're too prideful god does not try to make people humble by making them sick in fact jesus went about healing everybody and that made them humble because they worshiped him they praised him Tithing, keep sickness doesn't keep you humble. Trouble doesn't keep you humble. Persecution doesn't keep you humble. Persecution it does, is not sent to get the church clean. Persecution is sent to destroy the world, to destroy the church, to steal the word from the church. And it, ha- it has happened in country after country after country after civilization after civilization. People have denied the faith. That does not purify the church. That drives the church in the ground. Now, I'm not saying I'm not, sa- I'm not saying that it, it always wins. Don't misunderstand me. It, that was its point—to drive the church in the ground. The church has often prospered and flourished under persecution, but its intent was not to make it pure. Its intent was to stamp it out. You got to keep that straight. It might—it might make you strong, but that depends on you. Okay, but tithing will keep you humble. Tithing will drive away prejudice from your life. Tithing will drive away those things that makes you too proud. To, you know, well, to show up at church on time. Those things that that make us just be like we want to be. Eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That tree of the knowledge of good and evil belonged to God. And God's answer for it was for you to tithe. To say, I don't trust in my own reasoning. I know it doesn't make sense for me to cut this check, but I'm cutting the check. Acknowledging. I'm not smart enough to figure it out. I'm just going to tithe and leave it to
0: God.
1: Can I have a good Amen. I'm almost finished. I'm almost finished. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 8. I'm going to finish with this. Hebrews 7 and verse 8. Just Hebrews 7 and verse 8. I've got quite a bit more to share with you. But Galatians chapter 3 and verse 29 says that we are of Christ, we are the seed of Abraham. We are of Christ, we're the seed of Abraham. We are of Christ, therefore we are the seed of Abraham. We're the the seed of Abraham, therefore we are of Christ. Heirs according to the promise. We're Christ, we're Abraham's seed. Praise God. Ties it all together right there. The very promise that God put on Abraham is on you. Abraham's promise to bless you. God's promise to Abraham to bless you. You are blessed because God blessed Abraham. And now look at Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 8. Hebrews 7 and verse 8. Have you found it? And here men that die receive tithes. Where is that? Here on earth and in the Levitical sense. But there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. That's no longer talking about Melchizedek. You read that whole passage is paralleling and contrasting. Uh, the the, the Levitical priesthood to the Melchizedek priesthood but it's it's paralleling the Levitical priesthood to the Christ priesthood and here it says of whom it is witnessed that he lives there's no witness that Melchizedek lives but there's sure a witness many witnesses over 500 saw Jesus alive from the dead so who's receiving tithes today? now listen to me You can fold your money up in paper airplanes and try to fly it to heaven, but it won't get there. You can put put it in an envelope and write, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, 777, pearly gates. It's not going to get there. But he will receive them. How does he receive them? The same way he received them that day Abram tithed to that priest. That priest was Christ. When you, I'm not saying I'm Christ, I'm not saying Pastor Eric's Christ, I'm just saying that the ministry of Jesus is in this house, and that alone is enough reason to tithe today. I asked Pastor Eric to not receive the offering until I would preach this message, because I do believe, and I'm not, as, again, I'm not trying to bump the offering. What I'm trying to, trying to do as a pastor, I'm trying to get those of you who are not yet on board in tithing to hear this message and start today. I mean, I challenge you to get right with God. I challenge you to get healed. I challenge you to, to, to make confessions. We challenge you in all kinds of things. But today I wanted to challenge you, take a step of faith and start your life start your life over in, in the tide and be faithful in the tide. Amen. Can I have a good amen? Our altar call today. Our altar call today is an altar call to say, "Look, I'm, I'm, I'm through holding back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey God. I'm going to show that I'm a man, I'm a woman of faith, and I'm going to follow in the footsteps of my father Abraham and tithe in partnership to see that the victories that God brings me, to admit that the victories God brings me, hallelujah. You're not paying for them. You're just acknowledging that he brings this money into your hands, that he brings this into your hands, that you're not going to eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil anymore. You're going to, praise God, eat of the tree of... Lord praise the name of the Lord now if you need an envelope please raise your hand we're going to get you an envelope right here you need an envelope get Brother Blackie an envelope back there there you go get everybody an envelope praise the name of the Lord Pastor Eric is coming receive this offering this morning This may seem strange to you, but we consider this a holy thing. A holy thing. Just like when we invite people to come to Christ. Does anybody in the building today say, you know, I'm not sure that I'm saved, but I'd sure like to be. I'd like to be made righteous the way Abraham was by putting my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody in the building today would like prayer to know the Lord? Because it's our greatest invitation to you is for you to know Christ. He loves you. He loves you just like you are. It's not going to take a whole lot of gyrations for you to come to know Christ. It just takes faith like a child. We'll say, that's me, preacher. I wish you'd pray for me. I'd like to be saved. Anyone in the house, we're here for you today. The reason God brought you was so you can know the Lord. Anybody in the building will say, that's me? Okay. Glad you came. We'll give you that invitation because Christ did die for your sins. Either he's going to die for them or you're going to die for them. Christ died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. That means, as he rose from the dead, you can rise in newness of life and live above that junk that took you down. Praise God. Amen. All right, Pastor Eric.
0: Why don't we stand together? Praise the Lord. What a great word this morning, huh? Amen. A great challenge, even even to us, uh, even even to you who are a regular regularly tithing. I know, just in studying this myself, it, it helped me again. In one sense, it, it jerked my chain. Because I've heard law preaching on the tithe. And it's always good to hear Bible preaching on the tithe. This, this side of the cross, that Abraham gave a, a tithe of all. The Levitical priesthood, under the law, took the tithe. And that's, that's the message of the law. To take But but under this new covenant, this better covenant established on better promises the people of God freely give. Isn't that wonderful? Because it all belongs to I said it all belongs to amen, the possessor of heaven and earth, the possessor of your life. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. God, I thank you. We receive this message today, Lord, in our hearts, in our lives. And I thank you right now, Lord, for those who are Giving today, paying their giving their tithes, Lord. I also thank you, Lord, maybe those who are who are taking up this challenge today that have not made it an importance in their life, but to, Lord, today by faith they're stepping out. And I thank you for your blessing upon them. Lord, show yourself strong. You said, prove me in this, test me in this. See, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven to pour out for you such a blessing, you will not have room enough to receive it. And I thank you for that blessing upon them. Lord, the same blessing that was on our father Abraham is upon this people today right now because Christ has redeemed them from the curse of the law that the blessing of Abraham would come upon them. And that's a done deal today. I think that they are blessed and they will be a blessing and we give you praise and glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. live. Every day that I live, I am blessed. When I wake up in the morning, I wake up till I lay my head to rest. I am blessed. Yes, I am blessed. If you're blessed, won't you shout hallelujah today? Amen. Amen. Now, we'll take this opportunity before we dismiss everybody to dismiss our first-time guests with us today. I want to say thank you so much for being here with us at Cornerstone Worship Center. Praise God, and uh, we'd love to have you back. This is Tim and Rachel right here, and if you would, grab all the, your belongings with you, your spouse, your family, and head down these stairs right over here with them, and they'll take you out that door. We just want to get a gift into your hand. We won't keep you long. It's just our token of appreciation of you coming and being a part of our service today. Why don't we give our... Our special guest, a big hand today for being here with us. All right. Amen. So glad you came. And also, we want to dis- uh, also want all of you who are on the board, all the board members, meet Pastor John right over in this area. Right after we, we dismiss, we got a quick board meeting we have to have concerning some real exciting news. Ladies and gentlemen, we have some incredibly, I said incredibly, exciting news about our new building project that we'll be letting you know about very soon, okay? Don't forget tonight to go downtown at 407 East Louisiana, where we'll be meeting on Wednesday nights. It's the old flour mill. It's a big, tall, four-story brick building, cool building. This guy's done a lot of neat renovation in there. So that's where we're going to be meeting on Wednesday night, starting this Wednesday, and it starts at 6 o'clock tonight. Bring hors d'oeuvres, desserts, and a smile. And uh, anyway, from 6 to 7.30, Praise God. Father, I thank you now that you bless your people and they're going out just like they've they've been blessed coming in. Lord, I thank you now that though their enemy comes at them one way, help to flee in seven, no evil shall befall them and no plague shall come near their dwelling. For, Father, you give your angels charge over them to keep them in all their ways. Thank you for the awesome, powerful blood of Jesus that cleanses them and covers their lives, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you've made them to be the head, not the tail above, not beneath first, not last. Victors, no longer victims. Lord, I thank you they're blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed in their basket, blessed in the storehouse, and everything their hand touches Prosperous. Thank you now that you cause the mountains and the hills to break forth into singing, and the trees of the field to clap their hands as we go forth with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, thanks for joining Cornerstone Worship Center's Building a Better Life. For information about our church, service times, and additional resources, we invite you to check us out on the web at www.abetterlife4.us. God bless you.